Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, welcome to the Analysts Inside Cricket, uh, the morning after the night before, and actually probably slightly muted celebrations at the end of the Ashes because Australia retained the urn but lost the match. And so when they sort of set off round the ground, <laughs> slightly odd, isn't it? Sort of waving that tiny little replica urn. Um, the Australians, to probably a small contingent of Australian fans and most of the rest of the English public at the game kind of wandering off to the tube stations and so on and England obviously wanting to celebrate the win but ruining the fact they lost the ashes so it was slightly strange really it was Sur- it, surreal it, it was a strange atmosphere it, very odd afterwards because yeah you think oh yeah lap, lap of honor retain the ashes but all they did was just as you say they strolled over to their very small band of supporters and then strolled back again and then presumably then went to the dressing room where they all had a you know drink together and the two teams had a drink there's that photo put out by Danny Rubin who's the England media manager of the two teams mingling in, in the dressing room after. It's a great photograph, actually, isn't it? And sort of illustrates what goes on uh, behind the scenes at the end of a, mm. a series like that, where the, you know, the, 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 there's been a lot of enmity in that. that there was in the last Test match. There was a lot of on-field chat. There was a bit of bad feeling. And I, I thought that photograph actually made it look as if David Warner was sledging <laughs> Jack Leach, actually, yeah. even in the dressing room. Yeah, just, it was just how they caught him. Yeah. His, his mouth's open, yeah. it looks as if he's sort of bellowing yeah. something, but I'm sure, I'm sure he's not. But, they, yeah, they were all they were all sort of mingling and, and having a chat. And uh, it, It's funny, isn't it? You, 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 you're at each other for six weeks, and then everyone just sits down and has a drink and chats away. And, of course, a lot, lots of these players you know, play against each other, uh, sorry, play with each other a lot in, in the various competitions around the world, you know, like Archer, Butler... Stokes and Smith at Rajasthan Royals. Uh, Joffre Archer played with Matthew Wade at Hobart Hurricanes. I'm not sure how long that is going to continue, mind you. So, you know, you have it's, it's, it's weird, mm. isn't it? Well, I suppose it's a bit like the rugby internationals, especially the, the props, isn't it? The, 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 the scrum 
locking horns with each other, trying to you know scratch yeah. each other and trip each other and you know gouge each other's eyeballs and yeah. all that, and then they all go and have loads of beers together yeah. afterwards. Yeah, well, it, well, it's good, isn't it? It's good that 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 yeah, happens. It's great. Sometimes though, you think, well, just be a bit more civilized on the pitch to each other. I don't know. Does does, does a sledge does a sledge ever take a wicket? Does it? Yes. I don't know. Does yeah, it? Okay. it definitely does. Okay. Definitely. I mean, look at Mark Rampakash it... against Shane Warne, who said Shane Warne said to to Ramps at Trent Bridge. Go on, Ramps, you know you want to get down the wicket. You know you want to hit me over the top. Go on, go on, go on, go on. And he did, yeah. and he got him stuck. Yeah, I don't mind that. When I say sledge, I don't mind that. That's that's sort of... That, that, that can be... What, what, what can we put that under? That's just sort it's of... It's a wine provo- provo- provocation. Yeah, yeah but, it, it, but it's, it, it's, not, it's not nasty, is no. it? But, it, but sort of having a little snipe at someone, it, it is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, Matthew Wade was definitely guilty of that. Mm. He was trying to undermine Archer's personality, his character. It was a, it was a character ass- assassination at uh, Old Trafford when he was stood at short leg. And it was pretty, that was a bit nasty, actually. Mm. Yeah, so, I don't know. Anyway, so it, it seems to me, we, we've talked a bit about sledging before, but... They, and they, they, they have this line as well. Joe Root was talking about the line, oh, what happened on Saturday when the umpires intervened, no one overstepped the line, but then no one really knows what the line is anyway. I suppose it, you know, it's... it's is, is that why Ben Stokes <laughs> swore up David Warner and was just slightly over the line? Well, I don't, I don't know. To me, that seemed like it probably was over the line, but then you don't know what was said beforehand, do you, by Warner to provoke what Stokes said, which was, you know, fairly... Um, Fairly blunt, hmm. his description of, of David Warner. Um, I tell you what we should do, Yoz. We should just listen to a few predictions that were made before this Ashes series about the outcome. Yeah, so we recorded a few before the first test. Uh, so here they are. Mike Gatting, Andy Caddick, Derek Pringle, the incomparable Jeff Boycott, and also Andrew McDonald, the former Australian cricketer who's now a coach. Gat, your predictions for the Ashes? I think it'll be 4-1 to England. My only worry is that uh, our batting, which uh, can be a little bit brittle at times, especially up the front. It might even end up in a, in a tall draw. Uh, you never know. I'm just being a bit pessimistic at the moment. It's um, From what I see at the moment, I'm not too happy with what England has set up at the moment. I make England narrow favourites because they're at home in Australia. have not won in England for 18 years. Well, the way the England team are going, I don't think anybody can predict. So keep your money in your pocket till I see how they turn up at Edgebaston. Oh, I'm predicting it to all yeah. tied series. Yes, yeah. I am, actually. So I think there'll be a draw somewhere just due to <coughs> weather. Mm. Uh, but I think it'll be one all out of the first couple. And I think whoever, you know, whoever obviously wins at Manchester might go a, a, you know, slightly ahead or whatever it may be. But I'm thinking to all it will be the final score. But I think the teams are hard to, to split, in my opinion. So Andrew McDonald was interesting there. He got it almost spot on. Uh, kind of a clairvoyancy of, of the man who's now taking over for the coaching job of Birmingham Phoenix in the 100 next year. And we'll be back in Australia, presumably this winter, working with the Melbourne franchises and so on. Uh, he, he proved he, he really understood the game and, and read it very well. He could be, I suppose, an outsider for the England coaching job as well. Yeah, and that's where we're at now, isn't it? It's always a lots of things come to an end at the end of a, an English international summer, and we'll, we'll talk about it in the moment. One of them, that, the one thing that has come to an end, is, is Trevor Bayliss's reign as as England coach. I think it's quite surprising that we, we've known that Trevor Bayliss is going for quite a long time now, and yet 
his replacement has not been named. I, I know Ashley Giles is, is speaking to the media on Friday, but I don't think that... It's my understanding that a new coach will not be named straight away, that there'll be an interim coach to take the, the squad to New Zealand. Um, do, do you think that's odd? That they, you know, we've no, yeah. that, it does it's seem quite a big. Odd. It's quite a big winter. Why do they not have someone ready to go? It's a difficult job to do, isn't it? And they haven't really decided whether it's a job for one person or more than one person. I think they've been procrastinating for a long time. It's quite complicated to unpick all the different deputy coaching roles as well. It's not certain who's actually available or who's put the hat in the ring, I suppose. Um, Maybe people have been keen if it's a one-person job, but perhaps not so keen if it's a three-person or two-person job. Yeah. But if you're, you're Ashley Giles, Ashley Giles has been in, in the role for quite a long time now. Surely, you know, the responsibility rests with you, isn't it? This is who I want to be the next England coach. You know, you're appointing him. You just say, right, well, I know the timescale. I know when we don't have a coach, which will be in, in September, we'll have a coaching appointment ready for September. Well, because okay. England, England are off to New Zealand for a, a T20 tour, then a test tour in, in November. The first match is on the 1st of November. The, so it sounds to me that, that on Friday, if Ashley Giles doesn't announce the new name of the new coach, and maybe they've been keeping it secret for, for a while... That's possible, yeah. If they don't, that sounds like the first question. Why haven't you sorted it out by well, now? Well, it, it could be. Um, I'm sure it will be one of the questions. You know, why haven't you decided? Perhaps when we know what they're going to do, it'll be obvious. I mean, there's some suggestion that... And, and all sorts of... Re- well, one particular reason might be that the person is not available... Uh, the start of September, or at least you know, the start of October, to take the team off, mm. off off to New Zealand. It it seems as if the most likely scenario is that Chris Silverwood is going to be given an interim coaching role. That's that seems to be what's going to happen. Chris Silverwood, of course, won the championship as, as the coach of Essex. He's been the England bowling coach, and there's the feeling is that he could he could step up. Ashley Giles has said. I remember doing an interview when I was in the West Indies earlier this year. He said that he wanted. An English coach that would be his preference. So, so he could be on probation for a couple of months, mm. a bit like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with Man United. Yeah. Give him the, the, the go for a few months and see how he gets on. And which does seem a, a rather rambly, uh, you know, imprecise way of doing it. But I feel maybe as well, and this is a, a poor excuse for for the board actually, but they've been so focused on a very complicated summer. Yeah. with the World Cup and then the Ashes and all the other things that have been going on, that perhaps they haven't really had time to that properly assess. I mean, Trevor Bayes was asked the other day before the last test, do you think it can be done by one man? Yeah. And he said, well, yes, I do. But actually, uh, it, it gives the opportunity, if you have one head coach, for deputy coaches, assistant coaches, to take control of certain tours and while the head coach has a rest and that gives the the deputy coaches more time and opportunity to develop their own coaching and their own credibility their own credentials to one day be a head coach yeah Uh, all sorts of names in the frame if it's not uh, chris silverwood uh, mickey arthur uh, jason gillespie uh, alex stewart has been linked with the job Graham, who know Graham Ford, who's the coach of Ireland. There are all, there are all sorts of names, but I mean, one of the issues, of course, now is that so many coaches, uh, you know, are tied up with 
uh, yeah. IPL well, franchises, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, and and presumably very well paid as well for their for their IPL work and the hundred as well. Mm. You know, several have been hired for that. Mm. I mean, the money for the hundred actually isn't huge. I think a head coach is getting seventy grand for that. So that's something that I guess you know a really prominent character would probably renege on if they got a massive job. That's a Tom Moody sort of person, Mahela Jai Wardner. You know, those guys who were paid a lot of money uh, in the IPL, probably would... If you're doing 100 and IPL, um, yeah. do, do you, do, and you you must be pretty well rewarded for IPL. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you then want to take on that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's quite a grind, isn't it? To yeah, be, I mean, it's, a great, so. it's a great job to have, you'd think, to, to mm. be England head coach. It's, it's well paid, but it's, a, it's, it's relentless. Mm. It's a relentless job. And, I, you know, the franchise work, I know there's more... Work that goes on just outside that you know, it's not just the six weeks. Are you? I mean, you know, there's, there's all the preparations as well for the for the franchise cricket. But is is that a more lucrative uh, pro rata package where you're not you know you're not on the treadmill month after month after month, year after year after year? Nice picture of Trevor Bayliss being embraced by Ben Stokes in the dressing room last night, giving him a, a big kiss into his ear, <laughs> which uh, showed the affection definitely between those two. What sort of effect has Bayliss had? I mean, I'm not quite sure, actually, and a lot of people aren't quite sure about this, but Joe Root was very clear that he's helped the one-day side really progress and obviously helped them win the World Cup by changing their mindset and just freeing up their, their general approach. In Test cricket, I don't think England have been that good. I mean, they've won series at home and a couple of series away, but I'm not sure that, that Bayliss's... Um, Expertise has really come to the fore in Test cricket, perhaps because he actually prefers helping players in one-day cricket more than he does uh, working with them in Test cricket. I know he likes Test cricket, he's a traditionalist, but I'm not sure he's been that good at... I just don't think England have played very smartly, especially with the bat. And if you look at the record uh, over his tenure as Test match coach, played 61, won 28 lost 26, so that's a 45% win ratio. There's been a lot of ability in that team, but they haven't always applied it. Mm. Well, they've lost big series. They were they were thrashed in India. They were th- thrashed in Australia. They haven't regained the ashes. I mean, those are sort of the benchmark series, I suppose, aren't they? And we said that England did thrash India at home, although it was, it was, the, the matches were tight, but the scoreline was... Significantly it's mostly been the bowlers who who got secured those victories, mm. and mostly because they bowled so well in home conditions. The batsmen have had a tough job batting in home conditions, admittedly, but they haven't applied themselves very well away from home. Mm. How do you judge a coach, though? I mean, do, can you just judge a coach on results? I know we do, but is that the right way to do it? I mean, I think there's... you want to see progress. Yeah. Don't you you want to see. Batsmen learning from their mistakes yeah. and working on things that have uh, unpicked their techniques in the past. You want to see advance, and in a way, because of the number of the, because of the turnover of batsmen in the team over the last three or four years, it feels like they haven't made progress. Mm. And that may be partly due to the county system, mm. partly due to the fact that they aren't they aren't versatile enough in their ability. But I don't think also that, that many of them have adapted well enough to test cricket, which must say something about the coaching. Yeah. It's also about selection though, isn't it? If, as a coach you're not you're not the sole selector. If you think about the England football team, you know, Gareth Southgate selects his squad. Okay, you'll have advisors to help him, uh, people who go and watch players and that 
about will all be sort of infiltrate into the selection process. But he selects the squad, he selects the team that goes out and play. Well, Trevor Bayliss doesn't do that. I know he's part of the selection process, although you know I've done interviews and I say, you know, what what do you think of of X? And you'll say, well, I, I haven't seen him play. You know, I, I have to rely on the selectors. So, in a way, I mean, I think there are some who feel that. In a head coach, if they were to take the role of head coach, they would want much greater control over things like selection, because then you are judged, aren't you, solely on 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 your record. Whereas, you know, there are other factors with England cricket team. There are there are other factors involved, aren't mm. there? You know, and selection is de- very definitely one of them. Clive Woodward is is very strong on this. Uh, he thinks that the head coach in cricket should have much more control yeah. as the rugby head coach or the football head coach does in terms of selection, strategy, and and be the the head honcho, the buck stops with them, even has more control than the captain. Uh, It's hard in test cricket, isn't it? Because, you know, the captain's out on the field for so long, two-hour sessions, the game can change in that period, he can't sort of take someone off and put somebody on like you can in a, a rugby or a football game. So, you know, the captain does have to have a certain amount of autonomy, but you can see why, uh, in a way, Woodward is right, I think, that the person sort of sitting above it all probably should have a bit more control. Otherwise, they're they're a hostage to fortune mm. all the time. We, we've not done it like that in this country, have we? Traditionally, it's been a... You know, a but sele- it may be time sele- that, yeah, well, for that to change. Yeah. Do, do you think so or not? Well, I think so, and uh, in a way... The captain does need, uh, you know, a certain level of responsibility, obviously, but we don't rear captains anymore. A lot of players come into the England captaincy who haven't really done it at county level. Rory Burns actually is an exception to that. He is the next candidate, perhaps, for, for the England captaincy in a couple of years' time. You know, he will have done the county captaincy. He will have had a bit more experience. But generally, test captains come in without that much experience and sort of learn on the job. Um, this isn't, a, a, by the way, an attempt to say Joe Root is, is crap. I think he's actually quite a good captain who, you know, has been exposed by lack of opening batsmen protecting him and the burden of being the number three or number four batsman with very little time before he's out there in the middle against the new ball added to the, the, the difficulties of being captain on the field have, have been, you know, proved too much at times. But hopefully that will improve. But I think in the long term... It seems more sensible. There's so many things for a captain to have to deal with all the time. It's too difficult to actually manage the players and the and the selection and all that as well. Uh, I think the head coach needs to have more responsibility. Yes, which would mean, uh, I suppose, a downgrading of the of the national selector. Ed, Ed Smith's role. I mean, Jeff Miller did it for a long time before that. Uh, David Graveney was the, the the head selector. But there, you know, since the time I started watching cricket, following cricket in the seventies, there there have always been selectors. Um, and, and you're now saying, well, perhaps the the head coach should be the the ultimate selector. The only thing about that, of course, is it, it, does he have time to well, watch do, all the yeah, games? Do, do, you know, do you have time to really assess all the players? I suppose what you but, do, but, you, you 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 have your scouts out, don't yeah. you, who, who, who do that, and, and, and it all and filters there's, back. There's in. so much video and data available now. I, I I mean, I really don't think you you need to have gone gone to see every single player play. Yes, of course it's important to to find out a bit more about their player and meet them for yourself and and watch a bit of them live. But it doesn't mean you have to sit at county grounds all the time endlessly hoping that the person you've gone to see is going to get 100 because there's so much more evidence available. Mm. 
that's Trevor Bayliss then uh, coming to the end when England have got a decision to make about what they're going to do in the future. End, end of the summer, um, it's, it's also end of uh, David Gower and Ian Botham's time at uh, Sky. It's also the end of, of Channel 5 Highlights, which you were involved in uh, for many, many years. Next year, the, the highlights are going to be on the BBC. Yeah, They've people got the 100 as well, yeah. but, but also the highlights, the Test Match highlights, one-day international highlights are going to be on the BBC. Yeah, and, and that's uh, an interesting opportunity, actually, for the game. Uh, I don't know if people are aware that the BBC... Everybody's asking me, you know, oh, it's the last year of terrestrial TV highlights. No, it's not. It's, it's actually a big moment for yeah. the game with <laughs> terrestrial highlights now on the BBC next year. All yeah, the, the focus five. has been on the 100, hasn't it? The, you know, live, t- live cricket on, on the BBC on the 100, but actually they, there's all the international cricket. So all, the, all England's games mm. will be on BBC Two from probably about 7 o'clock, mm. as the Channel 5 programme was, from next year for the next four years, which is... A great opportunity for the game, and there'll be a tender for from various production companies to, to produce those highlights. I reckon there'll be slightly more analysis uh, because of the fact that uh, you've got an extra fifteen minutes. Uh, the commercial mm. hour is actually only forty-eight minutes, whereas the BBC hour will be a full hour. Yeah. So actually, a bit more cricket, uh, which is great. People have asked, you know, working on that program, Channel Five program. Uh, what's it like? Do we commentate all day? Well, we sort of pick our moments. How, can you, how can you pick your moment? You never know what's going to happen in the game of cricket. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to for any eventuality. But in a way, you only commentate on a ball after the ball's actually happened. You're not on radio, so you don't have to describe the run up and the, the you know the, the delivery itself because the viewer can see that. So you pick up on the action as soon as the batsman's hit the ball or missed the ball or someone's caught the ball, whatever. So you can you've got the microphone at the ready. But if the ball just goes through to the keeper, shouldering arms a yard outside off stump, you obviously don't say anything. At times, you might set up something. If you think there's something about to happen, you might say, well, you know, Steve Smith's looking a bit agitated here. I think he's looking on edge against Archer at the moment. And then the next ball is a bouncer, which he nearly edges or something. Then you'd leave that in. Mm. But... Overall, you're probably speaking about 30% of the time because there's quite a lot of deliveries which are never going to make it into the Highlights programme. It's an interesting programme to work on um, and you are trying to capture the essence of the day, the stories of the day, as well as the best moments, the fours and the wickets. Um, Obviously, it's nice to have different characters, different personalities putting over their views as the game, as the day unfolds. And... I think that there's been now something like 800 highlights programs made by Channel 5 over the last 14 years which have featured you know consistently Mark Nicholas uh, uh, he's been the front man all that time Michael Vaughan's been on it and Boix has been on it as well for for most of that period the two people who people don't know about who've actually been the fundamental linchpins of those programs are the guys in the truck uh, and two people in particular, Julian Davy, who is the editor, uh, and in that sense, when I say editor, he's the guy who presses all the buttons and puts the pictures together, cuts it all together. He's been there ever since the start, and he's the guy who has the real pressure when play is still going on mm. at 20 to 8, and the programme's already started <laughs> at 7 o'clock. That's 
a real nightmare and he's just someone who's incredibly calm and can stitch the last little bit of the programme together even while play is still going on. And the other guy is a guy I've worked with since 1999, Damien Dexter, who is the guy who does all the replays and puts the graphics onto the screen when the uh, players are talk when the commentators are talking about a, a particular moment or a, a hundred or whatever. He just is able to listen to lots of different voices and just put the right picture on the screen or the right replay just when the commentator needs it. Uh, Those two guys have put virtually every programme together since 2006 when it started and they just... They're never going to get knighthoods, yeah. but they, they are absolutely invaluable. Because I, I remember 2013 in Durham, I think the Test match finished. England won the Ashes at 20 to 8 in the mm. evening. And you've been on air already on a highlights programme. You can't show anything live, of course. This is all highlights. You've been on, on, on the air for 40 minutes already. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean that, that's when it, it gets quite pressure. Presumably in that situation, I, I say you can't put anything live, but presumably the end of the programme was with Mark Nicholas wrapping up. He might have an interview or two. That That is done live, is it? Or can be done live? Yes, that can be done live. Um, and... It generally, Mark Nicholas is, in, is also invaluable in that situation because he just deals with that pressure. Yeah. He's got a man counting in his ear, you've got a minute to go, you've got to finish this interview and say goodbye. Um, at, literally hit hit it on the nail and he never misses. So he's going to be missed as well and I, I don't know what he's going to end up doing. You'll probably see him on the, the, the South African series this winter when England are in South Africa. He'll be hosting the South African coverage. He's lost his job in, in Australia doing Channel 9 because they lost the contract, but I'm sure we'll see more of him. What happens to Garen and Botham, it'll be interesting to see. I think Botham's happy to uh, keep promoting his wine and, and, and do his sort of country pursuits. I'm sure we'll see him at cricket again, and he'll be wheeled out as a guest. Um, Gower? I'm not sure. I think David wants to, to work on, doesn't he? But it's, it's not his decision. I think he made, he's made that fairly clear in, in newspaper interviews over the last uh, few days. Um, you know, he wants to work on, but he they they've moved him on at the end of his contract, which is you know, it's a it's a hard thing to deal with. Very that. hard when you could when you think of his status in the game. And I mean, well, when I started watching cricket, I mean, when he came onto the scene in the late seventies as a batsman, I mean, it was thrilling. He he is one of the most exciting batsman I've ever seen. Not necessarily the most successful, but some of those cover drives he used to play. I mean, they they. They were absolutely delightful. He kept you on the, the edge of your seat. You didn't quite know what was going to go next. Was it going to be a nick off to third slip or, you know, nick to gully or whatever? Or was it going to be an absolutely dreamy cover drive? He was a he was a fabulous mm. player to watch. He was England captain, of course. He won the Ashes um, and then turned to broadcasting. And that has come to an end. Yeah, and he not, was he's with, not easy to deal with. No, and, and he was with the BBC uh, when I worked actually for the BBC in the 90s. He he was there, he was hosting Gower's Cricket Monthly, which was a programme on the BBC and obviously being part of the commentary team then. So he's been there a lot longer than the 20 years with Sky. And uh, I just wonder actually, you know, you mentioned about his ability as a, as a cricketer and both of them the same. I wonder whether when they sort of semi said goodbye yesterday on Sky, there was a sort of a ripple of applause, but not much response from the crowd and uh, maybe they weren't aware of it but it I suppose it was very hard for them given their extreme skills and brilliance as cricketers to ever quite live up to that as broadcasters yeah yeah 
Yeah, because they I mean, they were titans of the game, weren't they? As as players, they were the the huge stars. You 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 think back of all the time I've been watching in terms of, of stardom of, of of England players, and there was there's Boycott, Gower, Botham, and and Peterson actually in terms of players that sort of transcended the game you know, that, that people knew about outside of this relatively small world of cricket. Those are those are the four that I can think of. They immediately spring to mind. And actually, looking at the, the broadcasters of today, I suppose you'd say only really Atherton and Hussein have almost exceeded their skills as cricketers, as broadcasters. I suppose you'd put Jonathan Agnew in that bracket as well. Boycott's probably on a par with his playing skills, but it's it's a very difficult one. If you've been a, a really high-calibre player, to exceed that as a broadcaster, pretty tough. Yeah, well, even to equal it, I mean, if you, you say Jeffrey's on a, you know, he's achieved as much as a broadcaster as a player, that's 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 a big accolade, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, he has, undoubtedly. You know, he, he's been forthright, he's always been quotable, he's pretty much always got it right as well. So, high achievement in both disciplines. Yeah. When you're talking about cricket, obviously. Um, let's move on. Let's look ahead. Uh, Joe Root was talking about winning the Ashes when England go to Australia in, in two and a half years' time, which, of course, you know, they're going to have to go to win the series in Australia in two and a half years' time to, to regain the Ashes. There's no good going there and drawing them because they'll be Australia's again. I know things change over the course of time. Players come and go and new players emerge and new stars are on the scene and players who are established players, their form dips and they get get dropped. But as we're looking at two and a half years from now, I think it's going to be a, realistically an incredibly difficult assignment. Just think about this. Since England won the Ashes in Australia in 1986-87 under Mike Gatting, England have played 42 test matches in Australia and they've won only six. Three of those were in that memorable series in 2010-11 when everything came together, when England had a, a fine side, they really did, and Australia, well, they, they, were, they, they weren't a great side in, in that time. So, so in a way, that worked for them. Apart from that, England just been, largely speaking, winning dead rubbers at the end of the series. It didn't happen in 94-5. They were still in the series uh, going to um, the last test match. But... That is the size of their task. Uh, okay, we, we're used to England winning here now against Australia and winning, you know, winning quite consistently, winning Test matches. But England have mm. desperate, desperate trouble winning in Australia, and there've been you know, some five nils, four nils, four ones, whatever. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a massive task that they face. Perhaps with Joffrey Archer, they, they they have got someone who could be the spearhead, but they're going to need more than him. They are going to need two or three class bowlers I mean you think about Australia coming here Australia had have got class bowlers I think there's any doubt about that they've come here this summer but they still haven't won the series that you know even even with class bowlers so it's, it, you know, it's not easy winning away even they have found it tough even with Steve Smith 700 runs even with Cummins and Hazelwood and and, and Lyon as well who's their best off spinner of all time and, and, and a bit of Stark at Old Trafford even with those bowlers they have not been able to to win the series, that is uh, that is the size I think of England's task going to Australia and, and trying to win. It's, it's a it's a huge task. Yeah, and what they have to do essentially is find more batsmen like Rory Burns, probably potentially better than Rory Burns, to bat long periods of time. Burns had a a very good Ashes. I worry about him in Australia with the extra bounce. Mm. 
because that's the main area he struggled. But you know, temperamentally, he's been absolutely superb yeah. and he's really worked hard. But England need to find another couple of players who can bat all day and deal with the the pace and the bounce that Australian pitches offer, which I think means that we have to find a way of getting more county championship cricket in the middle of the season rather than at the front and back of the season, which is what it's like at the moment and what is what what it's going to be like next year. Yeah. You know, I've seen a, a sort of draft itinerary for next year and there is very little county championship cricket in the, the core months of the summer because of the 100. Uh, so it, it really that has to be priority for Ashley Giles as director of cricket to say the schedule needs to change. Maybe they need to find a way of uh, just reducing the seam on the ball for county championship cricket so that those little nagging medium paces are not so prolific and encourages batsmen to stick in. And if the ball gets, starts to get softer, the pitch is flattish, they can really bat all day because England need... And I think, you know, someone like Ollie Pope is one to, yeah. to invest in. I think he could be someone who really comes through. Uh, he's got the ability to bat all day. He's got the technique. He just needs a bit more experience. So th- there are players around who England can invest in, mm. but they've got to improve and they've got to find another quick bowler. Yeah, there, there, there are players around and not loads of them. Not obviously so, I wouldn't say. And, and, and that's the problem they've got. And it's, 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 it, You cannot rest England's chances of winning, of winning the Ashes back in two and a half years' time on Joffre Archer. He might well be a fine bowler. He might have you know, bags, of, bags of international wickets. I'm sure he will have if, if he stays fit. But he's going to need a lot more support. I think they're going to need a, a spinner as well that can, yeah. can really hold an end. Well, if you look at the blueprint from 2011, you know, the batting was Strauss, Cook... Peterson, Trot, Trot Bell. Bell, Pryor, who who got I think two hundreds or at least one hundred in the series. So you know a, a good that he was number seven, but you know a, a, a Collingwood as yeah, well. Yeah. So you know they had really you know doughty, determined batsmen yeah. with Peterson as the sort of flamboyance, and they had basically nagging medium paces. Really, I mean, but you know, Bresnan, Anderson took a lot of wickets. In that, in that series, Tremlett obviously helped, Chris yeah. Tremlett as well, and then Swan. Yeah. Uh, so that's the blueprint. They've got Archer, who's the spit, who's going to be the spearhead, yeah. but they'll need some really good bowlers who get bounce. I mean, Hazelwood is a good stereotype, a good role model mm. for them. Somebody of six foot five who's got that, you know, gimlet eye who just stares batsmen down, and he's going to get them in the end. He's going, to, he's coming for them. Need somebody like that. Yeah, and if you look at the <clears throat> bowling attack that bowled Australia out yesterday at the Oval, obviously Archer, Stuart Broad. Now, my understanding is that Stuart Broad is going to continue. There was some talk that he might retire at the end of this Ashes series. I, I'm, my understanding is that he's going to play on. We'll we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, Chris Wokes, is Chris Wokes going to be there in, in two and a half years' time in Australia? Is Stuart Broad going to be there in two and a half years' time? In Australia, and Jimmy Anderson says he wants to be there in two and a half years' time in Australia. He'll be about forty, um, and then and then there's Jack Leach, and there's Sam Curran, and uh, Sam Curran is a hugely talented cricketer. We talked a lot about him on this podcast about what he's going to become. Um, is, is it actually is it time? Do you think is it time now to say Sam Curran 
plays in every test match pretty much for England or is it, can you not really say that about a player he does he does seem to make things happen and his record of playing when he plays England generally speaking win and if you look at the problems he posed Steve Smith actually in this one test match he does offer something different and he, he bowled really well actually I thought yeah. especially in the second innings well he took his wickets in the first innings yeah I thought he actually bowled better in the second innings I thought he bowled a better length. It seemed to actually get the ball to carry through a bit quicker as well. Uh, he, he managed to get the ball to move both ways. I don't know if he'd be effective in Australia. Mm. I, I slightly worry about his height as a bowler and as a batsman. The, the extra bounce might just find out because he, he likes to hit through the line, hit back over the bowler's head, and he likes to go for the pull shot. Uh, it's all right on smallish English grounds where the ball doesn't come up too high, but if there's a bit of extra bounce on a bigger Australian ground, those mm. shots might end up in top edges caught in the in the deep. So he's going to have to change his game a little bit, I think, if he if he plays in Australia. But he's he's a very exciting cricketer, yeah. and I, I, yeah, I would I, I think maybe it sounds a bit harsh on Chris Wokes, but maybe they could look at him. As, as the sort of replacement, as the gradual replacement for Chris Wokes in the team. Yeah. Well, England got lots of test matches to play this winter away from home. We, you know, we get to the end of the summer, don't we, feel sort of nostalgic, uh, sad that it's all come to an end, but it won't be long before it's all cranking up again. And they've got you know, eight test matches, eight test matches away from home this winter to try out some of these... Uh, well, some like Sam Curran, will that work overseas? What do they do with Chris Wokes, whose record is generally much better in England than overseas? How will Archer go on the pitches of New Zealand and, and South Africa and Sri Lanka? Wow. <laughs> It's it, 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 we 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 I think we come to an end, but we keep on going. Yeah. You sort of mean? Yeah, I, I I think if I was Archer, I might just look to miss that Sri Lanka series. <laughs> actually, it's not much fun bowling on those pitches in that heat. Uh, it might be one to sit out. Actually, of course, there is still cricket to play this summer, and actually, there's a very interesting duel going on at the top of the county championship. Two games to go. Eight points separate Somerset and Essex, and they play each other in the last game of the season on the 23rd. This week, they've both got matches uh, against other teams, and uh, Essex are playing Surrey and Somerset are at Hampshire. So that's going to be a, a great one. And you know, Somerset never won the championship. Mm. Fantastic opportunity for them. I presume they'll get Jack Leach back to play. Um, wow, what an amazing summer it could be for him if he ends up as not only the cult hero but a county championship winner with Somerset as well. Yeah, there'll be a tremendous atmosphere down there at Taunton uh, next Monday when Somerset play Essex. Let's hope the weather holds for that. It looks as if it'll go to the, the final round of matches. Uh, the forecast is is good for the, the rest of this week. Let's hope it holds for the, the rest of September. We get a, th- a thrilling end to the county season as well. It would be amazing, actually, if some, you know, Somerset to win the title. And Essex sports saying, no, 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 we don't want this. But they have won the title recently. Don't be too greedy. Somerset to win the title in the last over of the last day yeah. of, 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 of the summer. And, um, and it would cap what has been yeah. Yeah. the most incredible summer. This summer is, is just as, as memorable and epic, so far anyway, as 1981... Or 2005 for yeah, me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to match this summer. It's been absolutely fantastic. Sad to see it coming to an end. But on, on we go. Plenty more cricket in the future. And by the way, just as a little tip, the Cricketer magazine's new issues out this week with the power list. We haven't done it for two years. 
but we've done the 50 most influential people in English cricket, some interesting risers and fallers in that list compared to two years ago. So look out for that. You can get it online at thecricketer.com forward slash magazine or, of course, buy it in your usual retail outlets. And we'll speak to you this time next week. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.